Hello, and thanks for downloading this episode of Pep Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not get a free copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or Christy Mayer's book, More Truth, by becoming a regular supporter of the show. Just visit our website, www.solas-cpc.org, and donate as little as £3 a month, and we'll send you a book as a thank you. Thank you so much, and for now, on with the show. Well, hello and uh, welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Centre for Public Christianity, uh, coming to you from a sunny, a scorchingly uh, sunny Dundee in Scotland, 23 degrees today. And I'm joined by uh, always my uh, fun-filled co-host, Christy Mayer from the other end of the country. Christy, how is it in London today? Are you folks melting down there? Pretty much. I mean, it's it's 32 degrees here today, Andy. So, oh, get out know, of town. I don't want to boast or anything. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we, we can't cope with that. We, we melt in Scotland. We, we, we turn into puddles of iron brew if, uh, <laughs> if that happens. Well, we've got an exciting uh, guest on the, on the podcast today. Uh, we are joined uh, all the way from presumably sunny Derbyshire, uh, by uh, Aaron Edwards. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hello. So um, Aaron bears a, a title almost as long as a, as a very long title. Uh, you are, let me get this right, you are the lecturer in theology, preaching and mission and also run the MA in mission at uh, at Cliff College there in the heart of Derbyshire. Did I get that right? Did I, did I miss anything? That's right. Yeah, I won't be sending any lawsuits your way for mispronouncing my title, my long title. There. That's correct. Uh, I came and taught for a week at Cliff College, and it was one of the last things I did before lockdown. I remember all the COVID sort of signs sprouting mm. like mushrooms all over college, and mm. things shutting down. You know, first the first the cakes went, and then the dining hall went, and then the teaching went, and then the end of the world came. So, uh, so I have fond memories of Cliff College as the place where the world ended. That's right. And of course, that was just for you, Andy. We just we just tried to shut everything down because you were going for too many cakes. I think that was the issue. Do 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 share with listeners that fun story. There's a there's a strange connection about the place where you live and and historical plague. I remember when you were there, you told me some brilliant stories. Yeah, so that's right. yeah. That one. Yes, I think there's a little village called Eam, which I think most people I'd never heard of it till we moved to this the village next door called Stony Middleton. And Eam has been in the headlines since lockdown because it was um, during the great plague of the 17th century um it, it was it's self-quarantine it was famous for self-quarantining itself and the people in our village Stony Middleton were key to kind of keeping them alive to some extent because there's this stone halfway between the two villages at the top of a big hill um, where there's still to this day it, there are some dr- drill drilled holes in this stone where people used to leave from Eam used to leave vinegar soaked coins uh, to pay for the food that was left on that stone by the Stony Middletonites uh, back in the day. I don't know if the vinegar actually helped stave off the uh, effects of the plague. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure vinegar doesn't do that, but they thought it did. And it was enough for the Stony Middleton people to kind of complete the deal. So, yeah. So we now live in that village. So we should be experts in this kind of thing. Absolutely. And I believe when pubs reopen, when pubs reopen in the UK, it will be kind of vinegar-soaked credit cards will be the... Uh... The, the legal tender. <laughs> but uh, on, to, on to more serious matters, before we press the record button 
on this uh, this podcast. You and I and Christy were kind of sort of bantering away as as we like to, and uh, you sort of threw from left field into the conversation um, the idea that uh, when it comes to evangelism, as a term we hear a lot around today, friendship evangelism. Lots of people think friendship evangelism is a good thing, and you said I, I do paraphrase slightly to be naughty, but you said words to the effect of you know I think friendship evangelism is a bit is a bit rubbish um i, I paraphrase slightly just to, to get an edge to the show but what what is your sort of concern with 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 friendship evangelism and, and that whole approach to sharing the gospel maybe you didn't go quite so far as saying it was it was rubbish but you definitely had some questions aaron yeah absolutely i, I um well i mean yeah if i had a vinegar soaked coin for every time i heard um how great friendship evangelism is you know i'd be a very well, vinegar-rich, soaked man. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think it's just that I hear this as the default response of most um, Western Christians today, um, especially evangelical Christians, the ones you know who are supposed to really care about um, front-footed, outward, outgoing evangelism. Um, and I think it's become the default because it's easier. It's something that you can do without actually having to think about it very much um, you can literally live an entirely normal to some extent worldly existence and think you're doing evangelism because you've got this more long-term game so i often hear people say well we're not like those crazy street preachers who kind of speak of hellfire and damnation or these or these or like a billy graham evangelist who speaks to tens of thousands we don't do that kind of thing anymore what we do is we're friends with like two or three people over the course of about 20 years they might come to an alpha course and that's kind of like you know, that's our long game. And I think, well, if that's actually the game, if that's actually how we're supposed to think about evangelism, there's got to be something fundamentally wrong because evangelists in the history of the Western world didn't just do that. Uh, so, of course, there's good things about friendship evangelism, but I think it, it, it's been absolutely done to, it's been overused as a kind of default response that stops people actually thinking about the radical uh, emphases that are needed in, in how to evangelize and just the lifestyle of evangelism for any Christian in their life, let alone those called to be, you know, Ephesians 4 evangelists as someone like a Billy Graham or a Wesley or a Whitfield would have been. Hmm. So are you saying that it kind of leads to this kind of spiritual laziness when it comes to talking about Jesus within those friendships? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, it's a, a sense of which, as I said, you can just be friends with someone and they know I'm a Christian and I occasionally say something that, you know, happened at the weekend when I was at church or something, um, you know, I might have heard something or whatever, and I might drop it into a conversation. But it, this, it's so subtle. Um, I just don't think it counts as evangelism in most, in most of the case, let alone, of course, the, the genuine issues people have ethically with um, the whole, the other notion of friendship evangelism, which is sort of being friends with someone where the friendship is kind of fake because you're secretly trying to convert them. Um, I just prefer actually being friends with people and in my friendship, they know that I'm a Christian and that being a Christian means Jesus is the most important thing in my life and should be in theirs too. Otherwise, why would I be a Christian if I didn't want them to be one as well? It's not the kind of thing where like a hobby, I'm into this sport, you're into that sport. No, this is something where I believe that Jesus is Lord. So of course, I, I want you, need you to believe this. It would be wonderful if you did. And so I, from the, I sort of changed tack uh, when I was, I remember at the time being a student uh, from, you know, wanting to be this cool Christian who everyone knew I was a proper, you know, go, you know, go sold out Christian, but I could be very cool and savvy and not really ever seem like I was properly trying to convert them in any way. Or I'd be horrified if they thought I, if they knew that I was going to try and convert them. Um, 
And I kind of realized, actually, that's quite disingenuous. Um, it's far better and far more. They appreciate it. Most of my non-Christian friends, the fact that I've just realized how being outgoing about it is is far more uh, genuine, really, to what I actually believe. So, um, Aaron, what do you think? What do you think it is that drives our tendency to lean towards things like friendship evangelism? Because I, like you say, I if I had a vinegar-soaked coin for every time I've heard that phrase, it's all over the place. And I wonder what's what's driving it. I mean, I suppose you could be positive and say maybe we think it's a wonderfully engaging way of responding to people. I also worry maybe if some of it's fear, and so we're more on the back foot than the the front foot. What, what do you think is going on? Yeah, I think you. I think that's right. That that um, thought about fear for sure, um, because but but the, it doesn't it doesn't manifest. It, people don't say it's because of fear. They say it's because they're much more missionally sensitive, culturally sensitive, because no one wants to be evangelized. Um, so no, you know, it, it's such a. If you think about how bizarre evangelism actually is, when people think about it, you're asking someone to make this you know if to accept the gospel to make a fundamental existential deep personal level change that affects everything for all eternity so i think people it, it's quite a big ask when you think about it and so i think people like to kind of lower the expectations of that ask and kind of just hope that this person can drift into an awareness of how important the gospel is and you know it, it sort of just because it's, so it comes from sometimes a good place you know this tendency to think okay i'll tone it down i don't want to seem like someone who's you know blasting at them because maybe then they'll be put off by the gospel so that's kind of the fear the fear that i'll be put off i'll put them off by the gospel that'd be the kind of you know a quite quite a laudable um motivation but it's also a less laudable motivation or maybe a deplorable one which is you know self-protection i i will face persecution i will face a kind of social um ostracizing by evangelism by by doing this by seeming like the crazy person who talks a lot about jesus um, and I just think that again, that just you cannot map that neatly into the history of Christianity and how it spread and the kind of sacrifices that people were willing to make in in order just to speak the gospel in various contexts, both both beyond the West but also within the Western world. Um, people have, have paid a great great cost for the for us to now do our very comfortable, you know, latte sipping version of evangelism, which doesn't look all that much like evangelism, basically. You know, I can almost kind of hear people saying, well, the alternative to this kind of flavour of friendship evangelism it just sounds quite overbearing. You know, like in every conversation, mm. should I be thinking, um, okay, my friend has just talked to me about clothes. Okay, I'm now going to start talking about how only with Christianity can we have a sustainable worldview uh, when it comes to environmental issues and, you know, rights, poverty, those kind of things. Mm. How how would you how would you respond to that? That kind of, I guess that impetus that's in most of us, like, I don't want to be the overbearing Christian that in every single conversation, I'm just using it to crowbar it um, to Christ, mm. which then in the long term turns them off from Jesus. And it's much harder to build any kind of traction when it comes to speaking of him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, funny in your example, I thought you were going to say, you know, um, in, in the kind of cheesy evangelistic link, you could have said, you know, you could be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> I know, right? It went through my head. Hence the pause. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I totally, I'm really glad you said that, actually, because obviously that's often a way that the kind of thing I'm saying could either, easily be misinterpreted. I'm just as, um, you know, annoyed by the very sort of formulaic uh, approaches to evangelism, which also undersell um how good the gospel is when people kind of try to sort of shoehorn it in 
Um, and I've, you know, I've done so much um, um, campus-related evangelism in my time, and faced certain um, approaches which are kind are really embarrassing. Partly because they're just they're, they're almost cut off from real life. So, yeah, the French evangelism route is we want to be immersed in real life, like Jesus was. We want to go to parties. We want to be actually friends. We want to like these sports that people like or whatever people like. Of course, we do. Those, those, are, those are great, good things to be involved in culture. Um, I, and, and so, yeah, you, and there can be an approach that sort of says, well, all that stuff doesn't really matter. Just pretend that you like it in order to get your little, you know, clothes with Christ kind of thing in. And I think, you know, that, that, that can be a real problem. There, there were seminars that used to be run for student ministries. Um, one uh, one conference I, I went to, which was called, one seminar talk was called How to Turn Every Conversation Around to the Gospel. And I kind of thought, gosh, that sounds very stressful, doesn't it? Um, similar to, as you were saying, you know, you're chatting with someone and everything turns back to this. Obviously, if you're talking to someone like that, the person is clearly going to then think, well, that person doesn't really want to talk to me. They don't really care about me as a human being. They care about me as a kind of notch on their evangelistic sort of chart or something. And that's kind of a very depressing thought to come across like. So yeah, if a Christian is thinking in those terms, and then I would certainly want to say something to them as well. Because also the reason I say that misrepresents the gospel is because there ought to be a sense in which you're obviously tailoring the way you proclaim the gospel to to different people. Um, as Paul says in Colossians, you know, walk in wisdom toward the outside and making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, uh, seasoned with salt, that you that you know how to that you may know how to answer each person. Mm. So there is a sense in which Paul would clearly speak very differently in different contexts he was in, and there's a sense of yeah seasoned seasoned conversation as well. You're you're thinking intentionally, but you also actually you can't plan it all in advance in that formulaic way. That would be kind of dreadful. Hmm. I wonder, is there also though? It's interesting, isn't there? As you were talking there Aaron I think there's a fine line to walk isn't there because on the one hand as you say you don't want to be the person who gets the reputation for you know twisting every opportunity in in sort of bizarre and strange ways towards the gospel and just so people avoid you but on the other hand I think there is this sort of tendency we have to be so afraid of embarrassment particularly in British culture that you know that verse of the scriptures that says you know about the idea about being prepared to be a fool for Christ and it's it's finding the space to walk that line, isn't it? Between not being sort of yeah. stupid, but equally being willing to risk the reputational uh, hit. Yeah. Um, and I wonder yeah. sometimes, I, I, I would say, I say this to myself, I catch myself sometimes walking away thinking, gosh, I wonder if I just bottled that because I wanted the quiet mm. life. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and, I, and then, you know, with respect to the caveat I just said before, the bigger issue I would still say is definitely that fear of looking a bit crazy. Um, and so, to some extent, those of a previous generation may remember, yeah, more Christians around who perhaps seemed more acerbic and kind of aggressive in their response, uh, that, that in their evangelistic kind of way of speaking, that would have would put anyone off um, speaking in that way. Um, and so, therefore, they kind of just you know pendulum swing classically to the other side. Um, but I, d- I just don't, you know, you say, so you go back to the uh, to scripture and you just see so many examples of where we're supposed to look. We're supposed to get in trouble. You know, Peter said, don't be surprised when the persecution comes against you for what you say. Um, you know, a good deal of the New Testament is written by people who spend more than a little time in prison. That should give you some kind of clue um, as to the kind of trouble you might get in. And I don't mean necessarily, you know, you're breaking the law. I just mean that people aren't necessarily going to like what you say. And, and you are going to look um, rather silly at times. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, the foolishness is, is also central to the gospel. It's the beginning of what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, you know, that it won't look, um, you know, impressive to the world the ways in, in that in that way. There's something fundamental about the cross-shaped life and the message of the cross that will rub up against um, the way people think um, they should live their lives. So, yeah, that fear of looking silly is another thing which I think is just... Um, yeah, shouldn't it shouldn't have a place in, in a Christian life because that's something we've been the gospel actually frees you from not to live a life that's you know c- completely withdrawn and comfortable and just getting on with the normal uh, your normal career and life go to your church programs and meetings do your small group do your little thing and then just keep huddled away uh, it's an outgoing faith we are it's fundamentally outgoing that's what the gospel is it's good news it's not like I have this good news that I don't need to share like we all need to share this good news so how you do that is um, obviously, there's a variety of ways you can do that. There's better or worse ways of doing it. But we all have to have that you know, sort of sacred duty, I guess, to be um, having that on the forefront of our um, of our lips in a way. So that we're not restraining it. There's some, you know, there's something I often uh, think of with um, reading Psalm 40, which in its immediate context isn't um, necessarily thought of for evangelism. But I think there's lots of applications for it. Um, in that David is saying, I have not restrained my lips. You know, I've, I've been brought, my feet have been placed on this rock out of the miry bog, and I'm not restraining my lips. I want to tell people of this great salvation. So it should be a kind of overflow of um, our life, of how good the gospel is, and, and seeing it in action. So it shouldn't necessarily be this terrifying, fearful thing where we say, oh, I have to go into switch on my evangelism, like robotic switch now, and now I turn into an evangelist. I think evangelism should be an overflow of who we are as Christians. And just as we come to do, to a bit of a close, um, Aaron, what would you say that that sacred duty looks like in practice? What does it look like to put that foolishness mm. on display in our lives in an mm. intentional way with with friends and family and, and strangers? Yeah, this, that's a really good question. And I think I, I, I could give some examples. I mean, I I mean, just from a few days ago, I was, I was uh, chatting to one of my neighbours in the street and we're talking about all sorts of stuff. Um, but then he starts opening up to me about some issues he's been having. I, I start telling him some testimonies because he knows that I'm a Christian because I just talk about it almost straight away when I meet someone. I, I want people to know that I'm a Christian who takes thing, takes it seriously um, st- as soon as I meet them. And I don't mean that in a in a wooden way like we were discussing earlier, but... You, you need to have it on the front burner straight away so that they know that you mean business. Um, because I think it's easy in our, you know, post-Christendom society where we know that Christianity had an influence. People could know about it, but they didn't necessarily know it. Um, and so then saying I go to church can mean different things for different people. So wherever I can, I try to talk about early on when I meet anyone um, about what, what my faith means to me because it is the most important thing that they can know about me. So I don't think it's an odd thing for me to talk about it a lot. And therefore, when I start, you know, when you get that out of the way, in a way, it's not as strange for you to jump in with things and say, oh, this reminds me of a testimony or this reminds me of something that happened to me once um, or that someone told me or this thing I heard in a preach or something. And anyway, in this conversation the other day, I, you know, this guy starts asking me to pray for him because he had a um, a problem with his... Um, with his right side, which he's had for many years. And in fact, he can't go to sleep at night because of his post-traumatic stress syndrome for when he was in the army. And I just pray for him in the middle of the street. And there's people watching, and it's a bit weird, people watching from their windows, the Stony Middleton windows. But um, mm. 
it's like I don't find that strange at all. But I know some Christians would. They say, well, that must be weird. You pray, but why is it weird? Why is it weird? Put your hands on someone and pray for them. He got healed, by the way. The next, he said the next, he said the next day he came to say he, te- he uh, I saw him going walking back from the chippy, and he was like, I, Jesus has done something in my life. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a whole thing. So be, be praying for him. But it's that's just an example of just a recent one of, of situations where quite regularly just you're trying to seize the moment and just go, well, is this appropriate? You're prayerful about it. You, you, know, you don't have to blast in every every conversation you're in. But I just think being being willing to blast in if you need to is the important thing. And I think I had a, a pastor who used to say, I used to go to a good guy, I go to a charismatic church, as you can probably imagine. Um, and we yeah, there'd be this thing with people who danced in worship. I've never really wanted love dancing in worship. Um, I'm sure, Andy, you enjoy dancing in worship, <laughs> don't you? I stop um, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and he used to say, look, some of you don't like doing this, but you're not free to not dance until you're free to dance. Because otherwise you're kind of thinking that you're, um, you're kind of inhibited. And you're saying, actually, I, I'm, I'm just going to think it's a good thing to do. So that's fine. It might not be a good thing to do. But would you be able to do it if it was a good thing to do? Um, and that's the kind of way I think about evangelism. Are, are we are we saying I oh yeah I could I could go and talk about Jesus really openly about that I could offer to pray for someone in the street or say something a bit cheeky to to someone I'm talking to, um, but I'm just choosing not to. I just get the sense that most people aren't choosing not to; they're actually not willing to. And until you're willing to do something a bit embarrassing, mm-hmm. then let's start curbing how you do that and be wise about how you do it. But I think until you're willing to do that, that the thought about being wise about how you do it will probably be an excuse to not do it at all. That's a fantastic challenge to uh, to bring it to the end on, uh, Aaron. That's been really helpful stuff in there. I yeah. hope uh, I hope for the, you, all of you listening at home, that's been helpful and challenging. And if it's been too challenging, uh, just contact Aaron directly to complain. Um, but no, I think a great wake up call to all of us. So thank you for uh, all you're doing down there, training the next generation. At, uh, at Cliff College. Thanks for all you've uh, shared with us today and uh, thanks for being a guest on the show. It's been great to have you, Aaron. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Christy and I uh, will see uh, all of you guys who listen to this and tune in again with a fresh guest in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Pep Talk. Bye.